So we're gonna go straight to scripture today, Micah 6, verses six through eight. Micah's one of the minor prophets. He's speaking to the nation of Israel on behalf of God. And we are coming in in the midst of what is a cosmic trial where God and the people are uh, uh, testifying to the things that they have done to be faithful and are asking for evidence of one another's faithfulness. And so in the midst of this trial, we see that God has presented God's case, and this is the people replying, and then God's final reply to them. So we're coming in verses 6, 6 through 8 in chapter 6. This is the people replying to God's defense. They say, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? with calves a year old, which are very expensive? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And here is Micah responding, saying, God has shown all you people what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Friends, join me as we pray for God's direction in our scripture today. God, we are grateful that you call us into your presence, not just on Sundays at nine o'clock, but every day of the week, every moment of our lives. We pray, God, that in this time as we fail to do so often, but particularly now that we will turn our attention wholly on you, continuing to offer ourselves and our lives as worship, continuing to seek to hear your voice and to allow ourselves to be transformed by your calling, by your word, by your face. May we push aside all of the distractions. Heaven knows there's been many all of the anxieties, all of the worries, all of the things left undone, all of the things yet to do. And help us instead to sit wholly in your presence, at your feet, listening for your voice. We are imperfect people, God, but we know that it is through the foolishness and the imperfections of our world that you make yourself perfectly wise. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we are crossing that halfway mark in our six-week sermon series on the six great ends of the church, which are the six great purposes of the church in the world. And you can see all six of those great ends. If you look at your uh, orders of worship today and you open them up, you can see the six great ends there at the top left-hand side. So far, we have talked about the first three. We've talked about the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind. This is all Christianese, by the way. Part of what we're doing in this survey, in the uh, sermon series is breaking down some of this Christianese that we use all the time, right? So we talked about the proclamation of the gospel for salvation of humankind. Uh, we talked about the shelter, nurture, and the spiritual fellowship of the children of God, and we talked about the, the maintenance of divine worship. And if you missed any of those over the last few weeks and you would like to hear or watch them, you can go to YouTube and you can watch them or you can listen to them through our website. They're all up there. Now today, 
we are talking about the promotion of social righteousness, which is another phrase that is complicated with a whole bunch of Christianese words that have sort of become hard to define and have lacked meaning as they have been used and abused over the generations. So we're going to put it another way. Today, we are talking about how one of the six great purposes of the church is for the people who are the church, which is us, right? The building is not the church. The people are the church. For us to promote and to participate in social justice, as well as for us as the church to call the world around us to also promote and participate in social justice. Now, I can recognize that perhaps it looks like we are making a really big jump right here at the start because we, are, we started off talking about social righteousness and now we're talking about social justice. So how do we get from one to the other? Because I could see how we could understand that in ourselves that those might be two different things. As some people might read it, it could be that social righteousness has more to do with promoting a religious morality code of sorts than it does in creating a just society. And so I totally understand how we can read it this way, but in order to explain how we are getting from the word righteousness to justice, we are going to have to go to the Hebrew because the scripture and the scripture that we have today does not separate those two words. You cannot separate righteousness from justice in the Hebrew. So the word for righteousness, as in social righteousness in Hebrew, is tzadikah. I'm not going to make you say it. And the word tzadikah characterizes righteousness in a very particular way. As a day-to-day -day kind of living, where a person conducts all of their relationships both with the people they know well, their family, their friends, their acquaintances, their work colleagues, conducts all of their relationships with a fairness, generosity, and equity that echoes God's fairness and generosity and equity for us. That is how righteousness is defined in the Hebrew Bible. So put in other words, righteousness in Hebrew is less concerned with adhering to a religious morality code of do's and don'ts. You can do this, you can't do that, which we actually see made really explicit in our scripture for today. And in the Hebrew Bible, righteousness is wholly concerned with our consistency in using God's values of fairness and generosity and equity in our daily choices and in our mundane decisions. And so I just want to make a note. That's not often how uh, we in society today define righteousness. And that's not often how the church uses the, the term righteousness. And so if you want to talk more about this, and if you're struggling to see and adhere or adopt God's definition of what righteousness means as it's described through scripture, then please do take some time to connect with me after worship today or sometime during the week. Because I'll be really honest that the harmony of our relationship with God is somewhat dependent upon our commitment to trust God's definition 
of righteousness and God's definition of justice over and above our own. So I'm just gonna say that, okay? Because I know that it's a subtle difference, but it's a significant one. Agreed? Are you awake? Good. So, we have tzedakah, which is righteousness, and it comes very, very regularly paired with another word called mishpat, which is the word for justice. And it's the word in particular, just put very plainly, for treating people equitably. That's what justice means in the Hebrew Bible, for treating people equitably. So mishpat is mentioned over 200 times in the Hebrew Bible, which is the Old Testament, with scores and scores of those times being paired up with tzedakah. And so I'll let someone smarter than me describe this. Tim Keller notes this pairing in his book, Generous Justice. And he says that righteousness and justice are inextricable from one another. You cannot be righteous without being just, and you cannot be just without being righteous. And we could do a really deep dive word study, as if we haven't done that already, but we could do an even deeper dive into the word study of these two Hebrew words and talk about how mishpat is the kind of justice that seeks to rectify the wrongs. Something is wrong, let's go fix it, let's put a punishment into it, let's do something to make it right. And how tzedakah is the kind of justice that prevents such wrongs from happening So let's make sure that we have systems in place that don't allow people to be taken advantage of, that don't allow injustice to to thrive. But for now, I just want us to remember what commentators like Keller and the vast majority of other commentators on scripture want us to know, which is that righteousness and justice go hand in hand in the eyes of God all throughout scripture. And to be just as a person is to be righteous and we cannot be one without enacting the other. I really liked how this woman, Amy Odin, said it. She said, to enact justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God are not single acts that can be checked off the list and left behind. On an individual and social scale, in ways large and small, this is a way of life. Periodic nods to equity do not constitute a faithful life, Micah tells us. We can not only observe racial membership quotas on committees in place of seeking racial justice. We cannot send checks for disaster relief and avoid examining the lifestyles that contribute to disasters. We cannot do hunger walks and refuse to change our consumerist lifestyles. We cannot confess with our lips on Sunday morning and hold grudges at work on Monday. Now, about now is when I'd like to acknowledge something. For some reason, participating in and promoting social justice has become this really highly politicized issue in some circles these days. To the point that even mentioning social justice causes some of us to check out of the conversation. And I'll be honest, as a minister over the last few years, 
We've been offered some strange times. I have colleagues who have been accused of promoting a personal political agenda on one side or another just for reading scripture from the pulpit verbatim. It's sort of a strange time right now. And so whether you're part of one of these circles that doesn't condone the idea of social justice as a part of our faith or not, I want to say this. The Bible is an equal opportunity offender. It offends people who are conservative and it offends people who are progressive. It offends people with money and power and status and it offends people who are slaves to money and power and status. It offends people who are on the inside circles and in the know. And it offends people who are so far on the outside that they didn't know that there was an inside, let alone a circle. The Bible is an equal opportunity offender. And it is that way because the Bible refuses to endorse our notions of right and wrong. It refuses to ratify our determinations of justice and mercy. It refuses to respect our preferences for who we would like to love and be generous to. And so if you're offended by our talking about social justice this week, welcome to the club. It will be someone else's turn next week. But I urge us all in these particular moments to keep our head and our heart in the topic all the same. And I have a really good reason for wanting you to do that with me today. Because the most frequent topic in the Bible, apart from the topic of God's sovereignty, the most frequent topic in the Bible is the topic of enacting righteous justice for the quartet of the vulnerable, which are the widow, the orphan, the migrant, and the poor just for kicks. How many times do you think that enacting justice for this quartet of the vulnerable is mentioned in scripture? Throw out some numbers for me. How often do you think it's mentioned? 30? Higher. 700? Really good. It's 600 times. Over 600 times, closer to 700. So really good there. Well done. I thought we'd go on a little longer for that one, but I know, Kristen Todd, geez. (laughs) Todd Edwards is wearing his name tag today, so you can definitely get him for that later. (laughs) He's giving it to someone else as we speak. Taking care and enacting justice on behalf of the quartet of the vulnerable, of the widow, the orphan, the migrant, and the poor, is mentioned over 600 times throughout scripture. And if you want some context into how much that is, I want you to think about how many conversations you have heard or participated in over the years in the church about homosexuality and the LGBTQIA community, right? How many of you have heard any of those conversations over the last decade? Raise your hand. How many of you have had to participate in those conversations? Raise your hand. Yeah. So just to give you some context, all of those conversations are based off of half a dozen scriptures. 
And if it's one thing that we know about how we are called to read the Bible, it's that we are called to pay close attention to the things that are repeated. Repetition is a big deal when we read scripture, which means that promoting righteousness and social justice is a hugely valuable topic to God, even if it's not yet to us. And if you think about it, I'm not saying that conversations about our sexuality aren't important. We can continue to have those conversations. What I'm saying is that those need to be multiplied a hundredfold in talking about justice and God's calling of how our righteousness and justice are enacted together in our lives. So when we join Micah in our scripture for today, as I said, we're jumping in the midst of this cosmic trial that's happening between God and the nation of Israel. But rather than God being on the offensive and really pointing at Israel and saying, look at all these ways that you screwed up. Look at all the ways that you haven't met our covenant. Look at all the ways that you've done wrong. God's not interested in doing that this time. Instead, God has put himself on the defensive, pleading with Israel to please remember all of the ways that God has been faithful to them throughout their existence. Indeed, the prophet Micah is speaking these pleading words of God, not just to the masses of the nation of Israel, but specifically to the religious people. In chapter three, we see Micah describing this widespread pattern of religiosity where the religious self-identified or the religious leaders in particular are making these huge public shows of how religious they are with loud lip service to God. In, in the words of one commentator, they say, it appears that business as usual religion has kept religious leaders self-satisfied and the powerful in power. For a messenger of God to enter this scene and proclaim judgment against the faithful, which is what Micah is doing, would have been and is even today quite the shock. So when we come to our scripture for today, God is pleading with these religious people who appear to be the most faithful and he's pleading with them to remember God's faithfulness over the generations. And fortunately, which is not always the case, the people respond with their own kind of pleading and with their own kind of desperation. They say this, with what shall I come before the Lord? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves, with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil, with my firstborn child? We see in the response of the people, the sense of desperation to meet this bar that they feel is set by God. And we see that desperation right alongside a sense of despair that they're never going to meet that bar. What do I have to do, give you my kid? I'll never be good enough. And then that's when God responds with God's request, not for sacrifices, not for some sort of acquiring of things, not for these big shows of faithfulness, these big dramatic expressions, but with the most intimate and basic thing, it's this. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. 
What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Which is to say this, God does not want a specific type of offering. God doesn't want us to play church or to frame our religious life as a game where we keep God in check, God happy, we're gonna keep God happy by performing our prescribed duties. You know, we're going to show up on a Sunday, we're going to write the check, we're going to make sure that we're there for this event or the other. God's not interested in that, but rather God wants not a specific type of offering, but a specific type of person. One who steps into each day walking alongside God, regularly deferring to God's values over our own, regularly paying our attention to God when it's so much easier to get caught up in ourselves. The basic issue at stake here is not the nature of our worship. It's the nature of our life. These Hebrew words for godly, righteous justice, tzedakah and mishpat, they are not words that promote charity. They're not words that are simply about giving back or being an advocate for. Rather, these scriptural definitions of what righteousness and justice are, are about giving people what they are due each and every day. Regardless of their social capital, regardless of how much we think they are worth, these words of righteousness and justice are about giving people what is due to them. And here's the clincher, my friends, that as Christians, we have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ says that thanks to his sacrifice, every single human is due God's grace and love and joy and fullness. For God so loved the world, not just a few. We see that this is particularly true for the quartet of the vulnerable. And this is why I say that. Because when Jesus came, the first thing he said that he was here to do was to proclaim good news to who? To the poor. Friends, this is how it is called to be with us. To be a people who regardless of whom we encounter, regardless of whether we think that that person that we are face to face with is worthy of our love and our respect and our compassion and our kindness and our generosity, we are called to remember that God says that they are do those things just because they are created, just because they are God's children. And that is our calling to be a people who promote social righteousness, is saying that we will be the people who show up into every situation seeking that righteous justice a justice that is set not on our terms, but is set on the scales of Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us. I invite you to please join me in reflecting on this as we pray. 
God, we are grateful for the way that you call us to be partners in your kingdom being revealed here on earth. Sometimes we're tempted to wait, thinking that you will do all of the work apart from us, waiting in a distant heaven. And yet you show us time and time again through the prophets, through the incarnation of your son, that you will not be held apart from us, but that you always come into our midst, disrupting our lives, making it on earth as it is in heaven. Oh Lord, that we might be people who participate, that we might be people who align our wants and our desires and our actions with the values of that kingdom that even now is being revealed in our midst. May we be partners with you, children who inherit that kingdom, encouraging others to join us and promoting that social righteousness to those whom we love and for those whom nobody loves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And friends, because social justice is not a partisan issue,